0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so excited to be with you all as we get into the second message in our series called Can't Believe. And I keep slipping up and wanting to call this series I Believe, but it's I Can't Believe because we're talking about all the reasons why people feel like they cannot believe in Jesus for eternal life. And this morning's message is called The Skeptic. Now, how many of you are kind of skeptical by default? Like you hear something that's kind of out there, and until you confirm it with some other sources, you're just going to remain a little skeptical. I'm right there with you, and I think that's my default mode. Let's see if you can relate with me. Up here, I've got this picture. You all know what these are, right? Avocados. Now, how many of you think that avocados are a vegetable? Go ahead and raise your hand if you think avocados are a vegetable. Nobody here, oh one, stepping out on a limb there. How many of you think avocados are a fruit? A few of you, and then the rest of you guys just don't want to commit or give an answer. (laughs) This blows my mind, avocados are actually a fruit, and I learned that they're classified as a berry with one seed. Anyone skeptical? I am. Like, this changes how I think about fruit salads 100%. But here's, here's another one a picture of this tortoise here. Now, how old would you guess this tortoise is? How many of you think 50 years or older? Like, raise your hand. 50? How about 100 years old? Anyone? 150? 200? Anyone think this? 200? There was a hand, and then it shot down. Okay, a couple of you. Not quite 200 years old, but this turtle is at a ripe young age of 189 years old. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy came on the ark with Noah. Like He goes (laughs) way back. Even just to put it in perspective, this turtle is eight times as old as I am. So I don't know if that says that this turtle is really old, or maybe I'm just really young, but... Here's one more for you. What do you think is the largest mammal on earth? Anybody think it's the hippo? It's never the first answer, right? All right, next option. What do you think about the woolly mammoth? Anyone? I'm hearing Amanda say yes. She's trying to drag Elijah in on this. All right, it's not the woolly mammoth. How about the blue whale? Anybody think it's the blue whale? A few hands. It actually is the blue whale. And I've been told a bunch of times that whales are actually mammals. And it's one of those facts that I hear, and then I forget about it, and somebody tells me, and it's like I hear it for the first time. I was told, yeah, whales are actually mammals. I was like, no, that sounds kind of fishy to me. (laughs) So here's another one. I'm still pretty skeptical. But how many of you can feel pretty skeptical about things in Christianity as well? Maybe you've heard about the flood and how Noah built an ark that carried the whole population of animals. You hear about that and you're like, I don't know if I can really wrap my mind around that. Or maybe you hear about uh, Moses parting the Red Sea. That's another hard one to wrap your mind around. Or maybe you're skeptical about Christianity because you have some moral objections to it. Maybe you've heard about Some of the things that God commanded in the Old Testament. Or what the Bible says about hell. And you think, how could a loving God send people to eternal destruction? Or maybe you compare the beliefs of Christianity and faith up against science. And you think that Christianity and science are at odds and you have to pick one or the other. Maybe you walked in this morning and you thought you didn't have any doubts. Until you heard all of this, and you're like, wow, thanks a lot. Now you got me questioning everything I've ever believed. But the truth is that deep down inside, I think we all wrestle with doubts at one time or another. And so this morning, we'll be answering the question, what do you do with your doubts? And we'll be answering that question from God's Word. So if you would like to follow along with me, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and it'll also be up on the screen. But before we jump into this passage, let me give you just a little background on what has happened up to this point. So up to this point, Jesus has already been crucified on the cross. His body has been taken down and given to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph wraps Jesus' body up in linen cloth and puts him in a tomb. Just a couple of years ago, I actually had the privilege to go to Israel and see the tomb that they believed Jesus was laid in. And I have a picture of the inside, which is pretty neat because it looks like this tomb was designed for a shorter man and then chiseled out a little bit longer to accommodate somebody who is taller, which would fit with the biblical record that this tomb wasn't designed for Jesus but it fit him later on. And when I was in Israel, one of my overall takeaways from that whole trip was how Christianity is supported by the Bible. But not only that, or obviously Christianity is supported by the Bible, but what I wanted to say was that Christianity is supported by archaeology. But not only that, but archaeology is supported by the Bible. Like the Bible is one of the most accurate historical documents that they use to locate places, to double-check dates and places and people. And there's really no question whether or not Jesus was a real man who walked the face of the earth, who was a good teacher that died at the hands of the Romans. But the question is, Is Jesus really, truly the risen Son of God? Between Christians and non-Christians, it can be agreed that Jesus was a real person. But the question is, is Jesus the risen Son of God? And ever since day one, that's been a huge question, even among Jesus' followers. One of Jesus' followers from day one was a, a woman named Mary Magdalene. And she was the first one to reach the tomb of Jesus and realize that his body was missing. And so she went running to tell some of the other disciples, and she told Peter and John. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So she sees that Jesus' body is missing, but it didn't even cross her mind that Jesus had actually raised from the dead like he said he would. So then, John and Peter, they go running to the tomb, and they see that it's empty. And it says that they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They did not expect Jesus. His very own followers did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. They didn't even believe it until they saw it with their own eyes. And that's what we'll read about in John chapter 20. Starting in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now let's skip down a little bit to verse 24. It says now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So first time around, it sounds like we have all ten of the disciples gathered together. Jesus shows them that he's alive, even points to the scars in his hand. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was. Maybe he was out making a coffee run. Or maybe, maybe he was so discouraged that, that Jesus was dead that he just wasn't really showing his face around the other disciples. But he hears from them later. Jesus is alive. They all, they're telling Thomas, we've seen him with our very own eyes. But Thomas didn't believe their testimony. He basically says, unless I see Jesus for myself, unless I put my finger through the holes in his hands, I won't believe. He wouldn't believe the word of these other people that he had spent probably two, three years doing life with together and following Jesus. And so... Thomas has been remembered all throughout history by the name Doubting Thomas. It gets kind of a bad rap. But let's try to understand where Thomas is coming from here. You see, Jesus shattered what Thomas thought God was like. Thomas was awaiting for the Christ, the chosen one of God. And he believed that the Christ would come to to defeat the Romans to reward the Jews, and to set up his kingdom. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I'm the Christ. But then he's friends with Romans. He eats with tax collectors. He even loves on prostitutes. And to Thomas, that's not what he was expecting from the Christ. And then things go even further downhill. Instead of defeating the Romans, Jesus gets arrested by the religious leaders and then nailed to a cross and being executed like a, Roman, like a criminal by the Romans. Dying a terrible, shameful, and humiliating death. There's God himself, the chosen one, dying on a cross. And it shattered what Thomas' expectations were. For God and for the chosen one. And not only that, but Jesus disappointed Thomas personally. You see, Thomas had devoted two, three years of his life to following Jesus around. I'm sure there were people who came up to Thomas and were like, Thomas, you've got to be crazy. Do you really believe the teachings of this guy? Do you really believe that Jesus is the son of God? Apparently, Thomas believed enough to continue to follow Jesus, but then Jesus is taken away from him. There goes his teacher, executed on a cross. Everything that Thomas had devoted his life to, those years of his life, I wonder if he thought were just wasted. His livelihood, just like down the drain, just like that. Jesus disappointed Thomas. And so, Put yourself in his shoes here. Even though he's got the 10 other disciples saying, Thomas, we've seen Jesus with our very own eyes. I'm sure Thomas didn't want to be disappointed one more time to get his hopes up just to have those hopes shattered. He said, I will not believe that Jesus is truly raised from the dead until I see him with my own two eyes and feel the wounds in his hands. But let's see how things play out. In verse 26, it says A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So now they're all gathered together. Thomas is here with the other disciples and Jesus shows up. Jesus didn't even knock, didn't even walk through the door for that matter. He just kind of shows up there. And I love this part of the story. Jesus goes right up to Thomas. Jesus was not afraid of Thomas's doubt. And Jesus says to Thomas, Here I am. See the holes in my hand. Go ahead, touch it. Feel the hole in my side. And Thomas had never had the opportunity to ask Jesus to be able to to feel the hole in his hand or to touch his side. But Jesus knew what was in Thomas' heart. He knew what was on Thomas's mind. And he gave Thomas the evidence that he needed to believe. Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. And then Thomas says, My Lord and my God. That might not sound like very profound words, but there's a lot packed in there. You see, Thomas is saying that Jesus is not just some moral teacher. He's not just a guy who walked the face of the earth. He's the living son of God. He is God himself. And then Thomas is saying that, you're my Lord. Like, I will follow you. I don't have to know all the details of your plan. I don't have to be able to comprehend everything. I don't have to call the shots. But I will devote my life to you. And that's exactly what Thomas did. According to church tradition, that Thomas became a missionary to India sharing the gospel until he was killed by a pagan priest he was willing to give his life in devotion to god now some of you might think all right well jesus actually appeared to thomas like in the flesh and showed himself of course thomas would believe like if jesus showed up in my bedroom and was was like hey Here I am, believe in me. Of course I'd believe, but that hasn't happened yet. But my question this morning is, if you don't believe, what is the real reason? Maybe there's a deeper underlying reason for you that's holding you back from believing that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. Maybe for you, it's a moral reason. You see, If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, maybe you don't even believe God exists at all, that gives you a free pass on going to church services on Sunday. You don't have to live for God's agenda. You chart your your own course. You go your own way. You don't have to live out the Bible. You can do whatever you want. And there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus simply for that reason. Even the guy who coined the phrase agnostic said that he had an agenda for believing that there was no meaning or purpose for the world. He said that in believing that there's no purpose, it liberates him from having to submit to moral standards. I even asked my cousin one time who doesn't believe that God is real, I asked him, hey, what do you think the standard for morality is? And he said, just pragmatics like it's just a structure that society needs in order to operate. And I, as I spent a couple of days with him, I could just get a window into his life and, and see how he was operating from his own worldview, seeing that he wasn't obligated to God to obey his parents. He could just kind of do his own thing. He didn't have to restrain himself from the pleasures of the world. He didn't have to choose to... Uh, to serve others instead of serving himself. But as I looked at that, I saw that there is so much emptiness in his life. Like, yeah, he might be free from a standard of morality, but there is no joy to living that way. But maybe for you, it's not a moral reason that you don't believe in God or in the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe for you, it's an intellectual reason Maybe you see it as an intellectual compromise to believe in anything supernatural, any kind of miracles. Even Thomas Jefferson, one of our former presidents, had this approach. He believed in God. He believed that God was the creator of the world. But he also had his own version of the Bible. And if you ever read it, you would find it to be a lot shorter than what we have right here. You see, it's because He took a razor blade and he just cut out every line that referred to anything supernatural or any kind of miracles. And he would not submit himself to believing that Jesus is the risen Son of God just because he saw it as an intellectual compromise. And just on a side note, because I don't have all the time to talk about all the the miracles in the Bible that are a little hard to wrap your mind around, I just want to make this one point. I believe that the biggest miracle that God ever pulled off was the creation of the world and the creation of human life. And I think it's reasonable to believe that if God could set the laws of nature in motion, that he can also have the power to act outside of the laws of nature. And if God can create life out of a pile of dust, then he also has the power to raise the dead to life. But for so many people, having any kind of faith is seen as intellectually inferior. But maybe for you, it's not a moral reason. Maybe it's not so much an intellectual reason. Maybe you struggle to believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God for an emotional reason. Maybe you've gone through some kind of tragedy in your life, whether it's the passing of someone that you love, or maybe your health was taken from you through cancer or something else like that. And it just caused you to doubt, if God is real, if God is a really, a loving God, then why would he let me go through so much hurt? And I don't have the time right now to fully address this topic in this question But in just a couple of weeks, we'll have a whole entire sermon dedicated to this idea of still believing in Jesus, even when you're disappointed. And so I really want to encourage you to be there for that message and even bring somebody with you who you know needs to hear a message like that. Ever since day one of Jesus' resurrection, People have tried to deny that it really happened. They've tried to explain it away as if it had never happened. And we see this in Matthew chapter 27. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 27 and pick up in verse 62. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So after Jesus has been crucified on the cross and then laid in the grave, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're like, "All right, finally took care of that troublemaker Jesus guy." And then they're like, "Hey, wait a minute. Remember when Jesus was alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. Except they didn't even refer to Jesus by his name. Instead, they called him that deceiver. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that Jesus would actually rise again to life. But they were concerned that the disciples of Jesus would come and take the body out of the tomb just to be like, Hey, see? The tomb is empty. Jesus must be raised again. And so they went to Pilate, and they got a security team, and they put that tomb under lockdown. But those plans could not stand up to God's purposes. And on the day that Jesus rose to life, that tombstone just rolled away, and an angel came down that pretty much scared off the guards. And back in that day, one of these guards caught leaving their post could have the death penalty on their head for running away. But there's such a bigger agenda going on, it doesn't quite play out that way. See in verse 12, what happens after these guards run away? It says in verse 12 of chapter 28, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Instead of receiving the death penalty for leaving their post, These soldiers are actually getting paid off by the priests and the chief um, leaders to spread a lie. You see, you can see their agenda here. They don't want anybody to believe that Jesus raised from the dead. So they're paying off these soldiers saying, all right, just go around and here's the story I want you to tell. Just say that you were sleeping on your post and then the disciples came in and stole the body of Jesus. And that lie that deception had been circulating around up until the day that Matthew wrote this account and I think it's still circulating today. There are so many people who won't believe that Jesus is the resurrected son of God. They'll try to just explain it away and say Jesus was just a real person and we don't know where his body is. The disciples probably stole it but I think that this is a weak argument. I mean, think about it for a little bit. Picture everything that we know about Peter. Peter was the disciple of Jesus who when Jesus was arrested, he denied Jesus, even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I'll try to picture that same Peter sitting in a fishing boat after Jesus had been laid in the tomb. He's out fishing with the other disciples and he's like, hey guys, I have an idea. Let's tell everybody that Jesus raised to life. And then, to spread this lie, we're going to give up all of our money to the poor. We are going to subject ourselves to humiliation and to shame. It will probably make the religious leaders super mad and people are going to want to kill us, but it's going to be great. And then picture the other disciples being like, Yeah, Peter, let's do it. No way. Why? Because people are willing to die for what they know is true. Even if what they believe is not really true, if they are so convinced in their mind that it is true, they'll go to any lengths, sometimes even death. But who would be willing to die for something that they know is a lie? And many of the disciples of Jesus died for their faith. But they didn't die for a lie. They died because of their faith that Jesus is truly the resurrected Son of God. But you could hear all the reasoning. You could hear all the arguments for why Jesus really is the resurrected Son of God. And you could still choose to remain a skeptic. But what do you believe comes first? Belief or a willingness to believe. And I think that it, it's a willingness to believe that comes before belief. It takes humility to believe in God for who God really is. And this whole idea of belief, I don't think it's so much an intellectual or a head problem so much as it is a heart issue. But think about it. When Jesus showed himself to Thomas. It wasn't the facts about Jesus' resurrection. It wasn't all kinds of reasoning that convinced Thomas and turned his life around. But Thomas's life was turned around by the wounds of Jesus. And he saw the holes in Jesus' hands from being pinned to a cross. The hole in his side from being impaled by a Roman spear. Jesus could have caused those scars to go away after he raised again to life. But he chose to keep those scars as visual reminders of what he accomplished on the cross. Marks of his love and his forgiveness. And those scars, they're not just significant for Thomas, Those scars are reminders of what Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us in making a way for us to have eternal life because Jesus paid the price that we deserve to pay for our sin so that we would not have to experience eternal destruction. And so the last question for you this morning is, Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God? And at the end of John chapter 20, John gives kind of a summary purpose for the whole book that he wrote here. And he says this in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written... Stories like Thomas, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I don't think it's by accident that these verses follow the story of Thomas, a story of a skeptic who came to believe in Jesus for life. Do you believe? And perhaps these words are written here in the Bible just for you to know that Jesus really is the one who can give you life, to strengthen your faith. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're still trying to wrap your mind around this, or God's working in your heart, and you would like to follow Jesus and profess belief in him then I really want to encourage you, just catch me at the end of one of these services. I would love to hear your story. I'd love to talk to you. Or maybe you're still skeptical. Maybe you haven't turned a corner yet and you're still on the fence. Well, another thing that you could do is join a small group that I have on Monday nights. So I'm a little biased, and I'm the only one who gets to promote my small group up here, so I'm going to do it on Monday nights I have a small group that is for people who have questions about faith in Christianity. Like, you don't even have to be a Christian to join this group and to fit right in. You're not going to be asked to read the Bible out loud. I'm not going to ask you to pray in front of everybody else. But you can sit in on the discussion on how this impacts our day to day life and to see the love of God. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and you've sat here this morning, and you can think of somebody in your life who who doesn't believe Jesus is the Son of God, and they're not devoted to Him. My challenge for you is to take advantage of this invite card on your seat. Maybe you've thought this morning, wow, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message The good news is, as we continue on in this series, we'll continue to unpack God's message of salvation. This is a great series to invite anybody to who doesn't have faith in Jesus. And your decision to maybe invite just one person could make more of an impact than just in their their life here, in the day-to-day, but it could also make an impact for eternity. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus is risen from the grave. Because I know that if he did not rise again, our faith would be useless. (laughs) But I'm so thankful to know that you have the power to raise the dead to life. You have no limits. And I'm thankful that in sending Jesus to die for our sins, you proved your love to us. And even though we can't see the scars of Jesus right now, we know that he was pinned to that cross, that he was beaten, he was mocked, and he was shamed, all so that we would not have to pay that price, the price that we deserve to pay. And God, um, there might be some people here this morning who are just struggling to believe in you. Uh, maybe it's for emotional reasons. Maybe they felt left, uh, let down or, or disappointed by you. Maybe they just have trouble wrapping their mind around the things of Christianity. And God, I ask that you would be at work in all of our hearts to give us faith or to strengthen our faith, that we can live for you 100%. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.